I'm Kelly Davis. You're listening to No Way Out, an oral history of Sunburn Hand of the Man. This is Episode 7, Flex. If you're just tuning in now, I recommend going back and starting with Episode 1. You'll get more out of this episode with the context laid out through the podcast. If you want to start here, and for everyone else, I'll remind you that this podcast was assembled from conversations I recorded with band members from August 2022 through February 2023, taking a cue from the band's proclivity to just record their activities with whatever equipment was on hand. The audio quality is not always the best, but I can say that the moments I captured were often more authentic than a sterilized studio interview. In previous episodes, we heard how this band was predicated on totally freeform playing. Sometimes this manifested as a focused jam, and other times it was intense freak-out freeform things. This loose unpredictability was summed up like this by Byron Coley. You say oh, Sunburn Hand of the Man are playing, and you really have no idea what like how many people it's gonna be or what the show's gonna be like. In the last episode, we heard how the band can serve as a form of group therapy for many of the players. In this episode, we try to comprehend how this seeming chaos is able to take any form, let alone a coherent sound. But before I go any further, let me bring in my special guest, Allison Hussey. Hey, Allison. Hello, I'm back. Awesome. Are you ready to roll? Yeah, I think so. So you heard the recap. In today's episode, we plan to try to comprehend how Sunburn Hand of the Man makes their music. Does that sound right still? Um, yeah. yeah, where what is the seed that gets a Sunburn Hand of the Man song started? Ooh, okay. Um, that I'm <laughs> I'm not sure there's a singular answer to that question, but I think we can hear some answers that might get us to that. Yeah. I suggest we pull back to the 10,000 foot view just to get this episode started. All right. In the early part of the very first episode of this podcast, we heard a clip from Ron Schneiderman talking about what drew him in and propelled him forward playing with Sunburn Hand of the Man. Okay. But I only shared part of his thoughts. So I'm going to play the full clip here because I think it's a curious riddle and that if you can kind of unlock it in your brain, then a lot of this stuff will start to make sense. Okay. I was just trying to, I was, I, you know, and I, I never found that kind of like freedom until sunburned. Things were kind of more elevated and not just like on a, on a line. It wasn't like a, it was like there's no sort of beginning or end. The show doesn't stop when you get in the van, you know? I mean, I mean, it's, are the show still going when you get in the van, you know? Yeah. And it's always been sort of, yeah. What I've always really loved about it was like it's sort of like still part of part of life the way it should be, and so there is a lot of this sort of like you know sh- you know shaking the salad dressing and see what see what comes down, and and um, and I think that's part of it too. It's it's just not there's no like plan to it, so you can't. I mean, you know, it's not improv, you know, because that's like based on a theme, right? I mean, that's just it's just free sound, yeah, you know. And um, and then it's also kraut rock, so <laughs> you, you know. But you throw that in, you throw things like that up, in, or whatever. It could be um, folk rock. It could be um, it could be straight psych or um, funk. You know, it's the 
expanding and collapsing and releasing and tightening of, of things. And, you know, and that's how, how the heart's supposed to work, right? But, yeah. So yeah. I, think, I think that's in there. Now, I know I've said this before, but it bears repeating. I believe Sunburn is an entity that actively resists the limitations of definition. I think we're approximately on the same page. So this episode is a little bit tricky because there's plenty of bands where you pull back the curtain and it ruins the show. But I don't think that's going to be possible here. There's no like prop synthesizers or fake amps for them to fake destroy. <laughs> I, I'm more worried that it too anarchic and postmodern to make any sense to a listener. Um, but leaning into that, I wanted to open with this riddle of the Sphinx from Ron, because my hope is that by the end of this episode, his comments will crystallize into meaning for our listeners. So Allison, did anything in particular stand out to you in that clip? Yeah, I'm really, I was really curious by the way that he talked about like the show is still going on when you get into the van because I think most people who go to shows yeah the show's over when the show's over um so yeah did he tell you more or did anybody else in the band talk about like that kind of element to sunburn I think that might be a Ronism like I heard other people say it and attribute that phrase to Ron and they used it, they meant something similar to when John Maloney said, We're just doing this because we have to. Sunburn is an artistic performance outlet that might also be first and foremost for themselves. Mm -hmm. And there's not as distinct a wall between us as listeners and them as players that that might be present in uh, other bands. Yeah. But there's no dichotomy here, really, until we try to define things. Yeah, and what about this, like... What about terminology when it comes to like improv or freeform or freestyle? Like yeah. what what are what is it like to split those hairs? Yeah, yeah. That's a good 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 question. <laughs> question. And, and and definitely heard a lot about that. So that's a good place for me to start in this first segment. Okay, cool. Cool. Like I've said before, I didn't really comprehend what was happening when Sunburn played until I started working on this project. I knew the music could vary from show to show, and as a fan and listener, I never bothered to think about what to call it. I just knew I liked it. But when I started pitching this project to like normal, like not anxious and self-medicating with music type people, I needed to call it something. So I used the word improvised. It seemed familiar, but hopefully loose enough. Then, when I started recording these conversations, I realized that word might not be totally accurate. Chris Corsano has played with many different musicians across his career, so I imagine he's navigated aspects of this question. I asked him if I needed to get clarity on the issue of what kind of music does Sunburn make for all of this to kind of make sense to a listener. Um, no, it's just like, it's just like a language problem more than anything. Um, because even language, you know, we're talking about how a band isn't a fixed thing and it's really hard to describe it without like nailing it down and then, and then it can no longer move, which is what it does, you know? 
Um, and language is the same. So, you know, that like that will always be a debate about, you know, free form improv and everyone's going to have a hot take on it. Just how I think of it is like there's the saying free form or improvised and there that can be like a genre tag. That could be like a little plaque in a record store that you're flipping through that section okay and then you kind of sort of know what it might mean and then you get to the record that either you want it or you don't and then you listen to it and then you realize oh I I really wanted this or I didn't and you know like but there's like a couple of steps in between that you know freeform or jazz or improv section whatever to actually knowing for real having like an emotional response to the music that you're hearing right so it's like a bunch of steps you know, to me, it's like the emotional response that you get from doing a thing or hearing a thing. And so, again, back to that, like, record store analogy is like, like, I'm in this section flipping through, but I'm not, that is not the, the be all end all, just flipping through records. The, the thing is, is finding a record that then changes your life, does something, you know, that couldn't have been done otherwise without that specific record and that specific moment that you actually hear it. Now, I hear Chris going in the same direction as Ron. The focus isn't on all the words. It's about the heart, the emotional response. It's about all of us sidestepping the arbiters of culture and validating our own experiences. But words have power, and it can be helpful to find some common terminology Here's another clip that might give us some language to use. It's Rob Thomas talking about his headspace way back as Shit Spangled Banner and how that informed the formation of Sunburn Hand of the Man. But I was always, uh, had been kind of attracted to the idea of uh, improvisation, instant composition type stuff, as opposed to haggling over uh, writing. And it's, it just uh, it became, when we transformed into Sunburn, and it, be, it became clear it was all improv. Or, you know, freestyle, I guess is a better word. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I heard Rob and many others use the word freestyle in a number of my conversations. Many of them also use the equally vague psychedelic term. I liked freestyle partly because it invokes the Wu-Tang hip-hop influences on the band. It also sidesteps the power dynamics in traditional terms like capital I improvisation or pedantic freeform purists. Mostly... Freestyle just reinforces my sense that this band doesn't want to get nailed down, to use Chris Corsano's words. The key word here is free. Yes, this is a band of music obsessives, but their impulse isn't to classify and contain. The most important thing here is the heart, the emotional connection. Here's Michael Kay talking about that impulse. I mean, what's, I can't imagine, like, being tied down to songs and stuff. It's, it's so nice to just play freely and just let your spirit do it and let it go. Like, like I would like fight and meditate and wrestle with what's the best like kind of art form or something like that to do that's got like no attachment to anything and doesn't cost any money really. And it's just your full spirit alive in the moment of life. Um, but it's just right there. Just It's just free music. It's just make sound, you know, and move your body or something, you know maybe probably be with people too is kind of a cool way to do it. In our last episode, we heard about the interpersonal relationships that inform and propel the band. I asked Ron Schneiderman how those relationships merged 
with this impulse of making free music. Yeah, I mean, I guess if you take that and then add the element of like what about of creativity and like what that is to 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 our psyche, mm-hmm. and that you're in a situation where there's not really any sort of wrong move, you know, there's no no, there's no sort of expectation. Actually, there's also no no with a K, <laughs> you know. Um, <laughs> It's both, you know, it's like, um, we don't know. And, you know, I don't know, but I won't say no. (laughs) Like both of those things, you know. Now that thing Ron says, there's no no. That was a really common theme in all of my conversations. It's a freedom to be who you are and do your thing and not get belittled or invalidated. There's also the other part of what Ron said. There's also no no with a K. He's talking about the intrinsic freedom that you can feel when you allow yourself the room to not know it all. It's an empty mind approach, I think. Accepting that reality isn't neat and under your command and control. Here's Dave Bohill. Recall, he was a bit younger and joined the band after they had been playing for a few years. Here's how he described his experience playing in Sunburn they were leaving so much open for me to uh to come in and and so every time i played with them i never felt outside it always felt comfortable to just be myself it was never like why why'd you play that note why why do you go off like that it was always like immediately like holy shit this kid can can get weird with us so that was fun you know what i'm saying Conrad Capistran also discussed how artistic freedom is intrinsic to the band and how that then makes defining what they do a little bit difficult. I mean, we'll sometimes have like a a loose idea of what we're going to play, but this band lets you do what you want. Like there's, I, no one's ever told me what to do specifically, just like an overall thing. So part of it is that you're getting to play, play this wild music um, and you have a group of like-minded people. And the thing about Sunburn, you don't know what you're going to get. So it's like, you know, I, there are some things, you know, what's going to happen. It, it's probably going to be electric, but there's a lot of times acoustic instruments and there's always, it's like psychedelic jams with experimental elements. Like that's always been that way. It's like, there've been, like I said, acoustic elements to it, but even when it's like acoustic, it's still freaky. It's not normal. Rob Thomas noted that the freeform aspect of the band might be part of what's kept them together and vital for so long. I guess part of the reward for the individual as participating in the collective endeavor of it is the freedom that we're not going to, nobody's going to tell you what to do. And even if we don't like what you did, it's not going to come up late. Like that was, unless it was something like you got wasted and you hit on the manager of the bar's daughter or something, we might tell you about that. But if anything that happens on stage, we're not going to get upset about. So when it goes really well, it's super exhilarating. And, you know, we, when we're all there for each other when it doesn't work, but it has this, because it's always improvised, You there's no never a guarantee that it's going to be successful or... Uh, fulfilling when it's over. Uh, but so when it does feel that way, though, it's extra exhilarating. 
when somehow you realize you either we feel that the music is elevated and we're all excited about it or we've connected with an audience and everybody's on the same page when that happens and you can never tell the shows that you think are a shoe-in this is going to be great usually when you're feeling that way it's almost always a, a flop and the ones where everyone's pissed off the sound man was a dick the bartender is an asshole or whatever it is something's everybody's in a bad mood no one slept well last night then somehow th those are the ones that often seem to take off and go somewhere special so the unpredictability of it is pretty i mean it'd be a lot different if you're just playing a set every night and you know you at least have a framework to fall back on if things i mean in, in a sense we have that because there's a language that we've developed so there's a, you know, you'll see us and there's times where we know we're kind of treading water. We're trying to find some, establish something to move it forward. And it doesn't always work, but that is part of, the, I think, the thrill of it when it does. It's extra special, and, you know, and, and we've done it enough that we can tolerate those nights that it doesn't work, too. So those are some of the band's thoughts about terminology, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think that could be a whole other yeah. podcast. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so moving us along, what do you want to hear about next? I'm really interested in hearing more about how they are able to kind of like intuitively pick up on one another and like how they are able to both like make music that is sort of like that is both original and like responding to somebody else at the same time because uh, it really seems like that's so much mental and physical processing that you're having to do that yeah. like if everybody is just off doing their own thing then it just is just going to sound like noise yeah but what they do there is it is like a very involved process of listening and creating yeah. uh and i would love to hear just more about like what that experience is for them yeah cool that sets us up for the next segment does freeform work? I mean, the better question might be, how does Sunburn bridge the gap from a cacophony of individuals to become what they are? I asked Michael Kay if he could describe what it felt like when the freeform really came together. It was nice to have that room of, of, of a band locking in something, but also it's sometimes being crazier than I could ever imagine we could get and being able to particip participate in it and push and push it also because in the moment it's just like it's it can get ecstatic it's and it's amazing to have a band that you just go like all right one two three four and we're like all turned on and we're not it's no, nothing's fake about it it's all authentically like we've been kind of bottled up and like ready you know and we don't explode we you know we just we can control it but it's nice to just turn it on like just go there's one really interesting point from phil franklin 
He noted the inevitable experience of not being into what was happening on the stage. But I think he's able to take a long view and know that he isn't hearing everything. So for another listener or player in a different position or mindset, it might be hitting just right. You know, a lot of times I I might think, ah, oh, that wasn't very good, you know, whatever. It just sort of went on and on and on. And then you listen to the recordings and you hear things you didn't really hear when you were playing. Um, I don't know if that's how it is for a lot of people who play freeform music. You know, sometimes it seems like it's indulgent, like, oh, it's just for the people who are playing, you know, but uh, it's it's not. You are playing for other people. You are playing, you know, for this sort of, you know, um, world sound or whatever, you know, spiritual unity of sound consciousness. I don't really know, you know, what you would put a label on it, but, you know, you're just in this space at that time and you can't really recreate what you're doing. And what I hear Phil saying is that while there's individual freedom, there's a collaborative, creative intent that's not driven by individualistic impulses. And I heard things that seem to support that thought. Here's Conrad Capistran. I really think it's about getting together and like the bigger thing that comes of it. When I play with Sunburn, there's something to be, to be you, if, especially with the improvised music, group playing is like, there are things that you, you come up with that happen in a group situation that you couldn't conjure up by yourself. It really is the juxtaposition of everyone's taste and all, all that and just, you know, the spontaneity of it. So it's about individual freedom and it's about the headspace each of those individuals brings to that specific place at that specific time to create a group and what comes out of that moment. Michael Kay brought up one really important element that we've not heard about yet. And and, the, and some sometimes it's intense focus. Sometimes it's actually like, we're listening. <laughs> Just like out there, you know, so you can be, when, but we're also listening to everybody because we're responding to different things going on to build this musical thing. That's, I don't know what it is, but it's like, I know it's a, it's a lot of listening and playing, you know, everybody's playing along, um, not knowing really how to play an instrument or being on guitar and knowing chords and what, you know, key things are in or anything like that. It's like, I'm basically going to listen for other places to punctuate or, you know, do different things in or, add something to something's been going on for a while, then like step up with saxophone or figure out what gear I've got plugged in or. Right, so they're individuals following their impulses, but also listening and responding to each other. Again, it's Byron Coley's group sound in action. Now I love abstract art, partly because it's a challenge to the perception that culture and language are somehow true or correct. I think abstract art is undefined, and the fact that it exists presents a material refutation that we know everything. Because here's a thing we can see and hear, but we don't know what to name it. So this results in like the really tiresome and uncurious tropes of things like smarmy stories about, oh, my child could paint that kind of garbage. But it's not just a blur. These things have form and shape 
and specific distinctness. I can say Rothko or Joan Mitchell, Agnes Martin, Pollock, Mondrian, and you likely see their works in your mind. I mention all this because these themes manifest in the next couple of clips. Sunburn sounds like sunburn. There's not, other people just can't. And I think this, this is a thing that sometimes happens is like, people look at sunburn like, oh, I could just get up there and, you know, like do what, whatever, like, oh, this is, this is fun. And I think that doesn't, I mean, you could, but it just wouldn't always sound as good or be as whatever it needs to be. This is Chris Corsano pointing to the group sound purpose of the band. I asked him if he thought that misconception came from someone thinking the band is just a bacchanalian free-for-all as opposed to something more complex. Yeah, and could you, like, I mean, that like, make it not seem like, and I guess maybe some people just don't pick up on that, but there's a lot of, I mean, I can say it because I was in it and listening, and there's, like, a lot of nuance going on that I think someone just kind of, um, not always. I mean, you know, somebody could come in and just like out of the blue and just really like uh, be the perfect extra thing added to the soup. But, um, yes. you know, yeah, like it's just like adding an element might be the thing that kills it or keeps it from going over the rainbow or keeps it too uh, locked in to a thing, you know. So Rob Thomas and John Maloney also spoke to this dynamic. When it initially, yeah, began, I, I thought that it was important to actively be uh, opposed to pure technicality of any kind. Back then, thinking it's a type of music that should be should be open to anyone if they want to do it. And you type of thing you could look at and be like, oh, I could do that. But then, really, could you? Because would you want to? And, uh, but it's it's something that could be theoretically open to anyone. That's happened a couple of times with people. Yeah. People come into the crew and they don't play anything and then they end up being on tours and stuff. Yeah. Some people can feel it, and some people can't. So people can say, oh, I could do that. I mean, maybe you could, but could you travel with us for eight weeks? Yeah. Could <laughs> you, you do a tour? Put up a psychological yeah. mayhem. Could uh, you do a tour? Could you stay up for, for three yeah, days straight? You know. But I like the idea of it being a, a, a music, a, a, at least theoretically, a very uh, egalitarian, open music. Open music. And, you know, not music. And initially, it wasn't all that, you know, it was, it was a lot more abstract. We got more musical as we... Or, uh, you know, we use more musical structures as we learn that we could actually, we're capable of them. Yeah. Okay, here's where I'm going to attempt to answer Allison's opening question about where does a sunburn song start? This is how Michael Kay described how things sometimes get started. Yeah, it's so casual. It's so weirdly like... Like most of the shows, like someone plugs in and starts making noise that you kind of like, and then like someone else joins in, and then it sounds like to somebody else that like this is a good thing going on, and then someone joins in, and next thing you know, eight of us are like, the show started, and we're all like, and someone's catching up, you know, still trying to plug in or something like that. And very organic, you know, but like it's a certain type of weird plant that's growing and you know, growing together, you know. And I wondered what that really looked like. So I asked him if he could describe how this fluid nature might play out in a set. Michael prefaced this story by saying that he would often show up to the loft early, set up mics and a DAT recorder before the jamming started. Also, at the time of this story, Mark Orleans was living in New York City. 
like you can hear like, like I like that release uh, secret in disguise where it's basically like from me pressing record until we were totally done playing we just like started playing and the tracks are just broken up to be tracks but there's no actual like the music is just straight through and you can hear while we're playing Mark Orleans arrives from New York City now this is about 20 minutes into the recording and we're still playing and you can hear when he like plugs into his reverb amp you can hear the reverb amp just do this uh, that sound that it makes and then you hear his like guitar just start to erupt Like you can hear it like it's ready to just burst like a thundercloud like and after plugging in mark then listens for a minute or so he doesn't take over with blistering guitar he listens he's patient he finds the groove his place immediately in it immediately okay Allison so there's some of that moment that Michael was talking about from the sunburn release Secret in Disguise. That was recorded in the Charlestown Loft a couple of weeks before they headed out for their first European tour in 2003. The notes don't say if it was a performance or a jam or a practice or... Uh, So, my understanding is, like, they do not really have, like, practice. And they don't have, like, there's not... It's band practice at four o'clock on Sunday. Yeah. Show up and we're doing the set. Yeah. Yeah. They don't rehearse. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, I think that, that I asked a lot of questions about that. And I, that actually at one point I said, so do you all practice in those kind of like an explosion of responses? They're all, <laughs> they were all different. Uh-huh. Uh, and so I then followed up with a lot of other people about that question. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a great place to start. Anything else I should try to answer in this next segment? Um, yeah, I guess like I, it's really interesting to think about like how there are so many different like personalities and people and styles that come into play here but then like how do they how does sunburn still end up with like such a distinctive sound even if that sound is a lot of different sounds yeah i that's a great question and i've definitely heard a lot about that so i can totally answer all that so here we go all right
What does practice mean to a band like Sunburn Handle Man? In keeping with the whole freestyle nature of the band, everyone had their own answer to this question. Here's a collection of comments from Ron Schneiderman, Phil Franklin, and Dave Bohill describing their different takes on the idea of band practice. Yeah, and, pra- and you know, for a long time, practices were really just hanging out. Yeah. I mean, that's basically what they are anyway. Well, there's not much of an agenda. Like with some bands, practices like let's work on these songs, let's work on this project, let's plan this thing. But really, it's really just more like let's go home. There's more group therapy, you know. There's more okay. group, group therapy kind of thing. Yeah. Being together. Just hanging out, yeah. It's like catching up. Yeah. yeah. I think so. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes it's just not as fun. You know, sunburn is more, it should just be loose. If it naturally, if we fall into a song or, you know, do some a cover song or something, that would be fine. But to be like, hey, let's practice this song and get it down is not something sunburn would do. When we got together, we held that as the practice, you know? So whether it be like a new pedal, or a new instrument or a new idea that we're coming at. Like, like if I was going to stop playing guitar and start playing saxophone through an echo pedal, that's what we were doing that time. It was just more about like experimentation, you know? There wasn't a lot of thought put into it. And it was also, I think we were kind of trying to outdo each other with, not outdo each other like in a comp- competitive way, but trying to like trying to like surprise each other in a friendly way by being like hey we're gonna <laughs> check check this out yeah. it was good chris corsano's reply to the practice question echoed some of his thoughts about the earlier freeform question noting that this is more a failure of language than divergence of definitions and then he pulled in all these disparate threads that we've heard about across the podcast it's not practice where you're doing rudiments or practicing scales, but it's developing over time uh, instincts and and the choices that you're constantly making when you're improvising. It sounds kind of funny with sunburn, like, okay, well, let's rehearse jamming, you know, like, so it's, but it's almost more like, you know, like with the way that uh, visual artists talk about their quote unquote practice, um, not to make it again too like highfalutin or whatever, but if there's a way to to do it in a kind of more low key, uh, not stuck up way, about yeah, this is this is our thing that we do. This is our practice, not like not practice as in rehearsal, but like this is how we live. This is how we are. This is how we try and create shit that has some life in the world. That's a type of practice, not rehearsal, you know. I feel like some bands exist more in that version of quote-unquote practice. It's just people who are improvisers, you know, like that get together and and it's kind of a natural thing that flows out of just, yeah, living in the same place or like, you know, hang out, play a little, eat, play more, you know, like that kind of thing is like, to to use the word practice might be misleading because then someone's thinking about like, piano practice, do, re, mi, fa, so, la, ti, whatever. And it's not that. There's like a different thing going on, but it is a type of, I don't know. It's hard to have a word for it or description for it that values it enough without making it too highfalutin and kind of pretentious. 
And then it's also having an attitude about it where you wouldn't call it practice. I think that's that's another key component of sunburn is that there's a lot of stuff that if you and maybe this is why it's hard to have like a narrative around them because like if you start describing all the stuff that actually is going on that's super intricate that's um either well thought out or well intuited i don't even know how to say it but if you start putting words on all that stuff it's not like it's an acad sunburn is not like an academic intellectual thing but you could intellectualize it but then it's just tricky (laughs) i don't know i'm not smart enough to talk about music i guess is the uh my final conclusion and of course i immediately disagreed with him about that final conclusion chris is clearly more than capable of talking about music not only did he make thoughtful points as i listened to him talk i started to envision rob thomas's spiral analogy from the first episode sometimes the line overlaps but it never breaks the jamming is part of living and the living is part of jamming and this is something that exists in the real world before we start to define separate and limit it it with our words. Or as Ron Schneiderman says, The show's still going when you get in the van, you know? Chris wasn't the only one who discussed these ideas. Here's Rob Thomas and John Maloney answering my provocative question about practice and linking it back to the earlier point about not telling each other what to do. Is this a band that practices? Yeah. Well, I think not maybe in the traditional sense of what that means to most people, but it definitely we have our own form of practice, which is us just getting together and letting it kind of rip, and that's where all the themes emerge from, and yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's practices, and we're putting it into practice, you know, but we're not, it's, uh, it's always been the same. I feel like what we're doing right now is very similar to what we were doing in 1998, you know, it's just, uh, the circumstances are different, the people are different. Yeah, I mean, we don't stop something and be like, Let's do that again, but better, which is, I guess, the traditional sense of practice. Yeah. yeah. We never go, okay, that was cool. Let's try to do that again, but somehow superior to what it was. We just, yeah. we don't bother doing that with this project because, and that's why we are still together. I honestly think because mm. unlike the average band where you try to build something that you all agree on and then repeat it and fine tune it. If we try to do that with our personalities in this group, we would have killed each other or just like alienated each other to a point where we wouldn't participate anymore but there are no rules but the unspoken rule which is we don't just don't tell us what to do I'm not going to tell you what to do I may not like it you know and you might not like what I'm doing but we're just going to keep at it as long as we all agree you know and then we all keep coming back to it because I don't know there's a I think it keeps some of the egomania at bay yeah that's something we don't really have to deal with yeah you know, you know we probably dealt with our own egomania oh, like yeah. and then you know years past or you know, fucking screaming at each other about shit uh-huh. different it. things but not, not yeah, about yeah. that oh you can't have the, the the key change doesn't shouldn't be in the bridge yeah, it should be in the pre-chorus you fucking well, we don't do that yeah we don't we don't have to worry about it anyways what i mean you know it's uh, in that, in that respect there's no real leader you know what i mean there's no like yeah just like that guy or that person in the, in the crew that mm-hmm. it's not it's not like I don't know if the roles get defined you know you expect you know you, you know what to expect from everybody in a sense and sometimes you get surprised but but there's never any uh, arguments about it should be this or it should be that because that would, that would suck the magic right out of it yeah, I mean I think the, the only directions we 
actually give each other is like, can you turn that up or you can turn it down a little bit? Yeah. That's it. So can you move slightly this way? Yeah, it's just like a balanced thing. So if it's not rehearsal, then is there another word for what's happening here? There is an attempt to tune the band. I mean, when, it, when it, we realize whatever it is is in tune to our own consensus of what things are supposed to be, then uh, everybody you can see it on everybody's face when the music really yeah. uh, hits that spot. And it doesn't always hit it, but you know, that's, that's the attempt. Okay, maybe we don't have a simple word to describe it, but the ultimate goal is, to paraphrase Rob, hit that spot. And it seems like the main way the band hit that spot or got attuned to one another is through regularly jamming together as a band. But that's not always how it works. You recall in the first episode, Byron Coley said, You say, oh, Sunburn hit the man are playing. And you really have no idea what, like, how many people it's going to be or what the show's going to be like. And it sounds like that's not just uncertainty for the audience. Here's Michael Kay reflecting on the sometimes fluid nature of the band. Sometimes we'd go to New York City from Boston and then a bunch of people would come out and start playing live who hadn't. So everything you've been doing, the band that you think you are at the loft, then you get a show and you kind of want to play that vibe. But then everybody comes in and then it's just a whole other, whole other band. But yeah, what is the band? Yeah. Yeah. I always feel like it's, I always feel like it's just, if it's raw, if it's, it's, if it's John and Rob together, I think that to me feels like that's what I want. That's the sunburn that I know best. In the tour episode, Phil Franklin told a story about playing a chaotic show like this in Canada where band members' dogs were running around the stage. I heard about that specific show from several of the band members. Most of them brought it up as evidence of when the freestyle mode of operating maybe didn't work so much. But I also heard about this show from Thurston Moore. He had convinced the rest of Sonic Youth to have Sunburn open for them at a couple of gigs in Canada. And this is how he remembered that performance. And I wasn't quite sure if Sunburn Hand of the Man was going to be uh, a safe choice for, <laughs> for us. But... The, it was really great because they showed up in a van, all eight of them. There might have been 80 of them. And they just spilled out and uh, with a couple of dogs. And they just sort of set up. I don't even think they sound checked. And they just played. And it was just, it was really great with their dogs coming on stage and just sort of curly up next to the microphone stand and such. Even when we played afterwards, you know, in the middle of our set like I, I felt something brush against my back leg you know during teenage riot and i turned down and there was like a, you know there was a dog walking by and it was sunburns <laughs> dog. <laughs> and uh so i just thought that kind of sort of casual demeanor uh, it was just you know and the fact that they kind of had the goods yeah i, I kind of really I, I really fell in love with sunburn i thought they were i thought they were just so genuine and that's just the first of many times sonic youth and thurston moore asked Sunburn to open a show for them, which suggests that, uh, you know, he was digging it. Ron Schneiderman also brought up the phenomenon of the chaotic public performance, but noted that perception might play a bigger role in how a show is received than what the band is actually doing themselves on the stage. Yeah, you know, I mean, there's been shows for sure, like where there's been a lot of people like on a big stage 
and there's like two sets going on. <laughs> you know what I mean? But it's rooted in the same place and it works, you know, in some way. There's also a lot of chaos, but, you know, noise and all that stuff is like, you know, I'm, I'm very much interested in how, um, you know, um, when you're dealing with sound that's sort of, that can be sort of um, disharmonious or um, whatever you want to say. I don't want to use, I think we use pejorative words, but that, that is, that, that like, when you listen long enough, your, your, your brain sorts out patterns and tones, you know, and it's like really your mind doing the work, not the artists. Not the. It's not like somebody like I'm playing this song for you. It's like here's this, you know. That's kind of a thing I really get into with the organ drones I like to do, where it's like they can be, um, you know, not not the most comfortable chords, but if you let it go for a long time, and you let the room fill with the sound, you, it's like a Rorschach, mm-hmm. and it's like you're starting to figure out your you you pull it apart in your own mind, and then you sort of make sense of the world itself. And I think that psychological aspect of it is part of part of this message here too, where it's like maybe a little more physically even when you're playing and you're in a space where it's just kind of crazy, you know. And I and I can find myself playing, like just I don't even know what. I can maybe not even hear it sometimes because there's so much going on. And I could drop out and suddenly everything sounds different. I can wait and hear a couple people drop out and find myself playing something I never expected I was going to be playing right away. I hear Ron saying a lot in there, but the two key points for me link back to his clip from the start of the show. He said that what Sunburn does is just free sound. And it's a listener that assigns meaning to the sounds. And it's possible that this band is as much about listening and being present with one another as it is a bunch of guys just being maniacs and hoping it goes okay. Earlier in the episode, we heard Chris Corsano say, Sunburn sounds like sunburn. And I know what he means, but it is bizarre because there could be any number of different musicians at work on a recording or on the stage. Who knows who's playing drums or bass or guitar or doing the vocals? You listen to a single record and it might start with some freaky electronics and then the next thing you know they're into some fried out funkadelic bass line that then warps into an atavistic freakout but there's still a really fascinating unity of sound. I think part of this is due to that core rhythm section of Rob and John. And some of it has to do with the whole collective, spiritual, free sound mindset of the band. But there was another interesting phenomenon that came up in several of my conversations. Here's Dave Bohill, Phil Franklin, Chris Corsano, and Ron Schneiderman talking about the band's unity of sound. When I joined the band... I decided to cohesively insert myself into the band without making a mess of it. And every single time I picked up an instrument that somebody else in the band had already picked up, or like, this sounds like very, this sounds very uh, egotistical, but at that time, so like, if I were to, if, Rob wasn't there. I would play the bass and I would play the bass similarly to Rob. If John wasn't there, same thing. I think we all picked up each other's like nuances and tricks. And so that when you heard us, you couldn't tell what the hell, who the hell was playing. You can listen to a recording and not really even know who it is on drums, you know? Um, I mean, 
you think you'd be able to know what you sound like, but sometimes you don't play the way you usually play when you play with Sunburn, you know, and something else takes over. There's all these people and they're all kind of fitting together, but in a really loose way and a really interesting way. Um, Sometimes I've played and I'm like, and not just with them, but just in a thing that I'm joining is like, I'll be deferential to, oh, this is not my band or it's not my, you know, I'm not the, I'm not the person in, you know, whatever, in charge or whatever. So I'm like trying to service the, you know, stay true to whatever I think the music might be. But then there's other people I totally know that just like come in and just like they, they're doing their thing and that it's just like every, they see everything is maybe equal or, you know, I don't know, whatever. So if you've got a band of, I don't know, 14 people, there's going to be a lot of different visions of what, what it is. And I think, you know, that kind of shuffling of those 14 or however many people are playing, shuffle all those things together and then you get um, sunburn, you know? And there's that thing about that sameness of the sound too, where people who come in and have been hearing it for a long time, they expect that's what they're playing and they might adjust to that. And, um, you know, but it's like, um, well, if that's the case, then that's what they want to do. You know, it's like they're not they're not not under any any uh, requirement to change anything, but but they can. Yeah, they can well, come in and bring it, change it entirely. You know. And I want to bring Shannon Ketch into this conversation. Remember that he started seeing Sunburn play more than twenty years ago, and he joined the band after they relocated to Western Massachusetts. So a much later addition to the group. Here are his thoughts on finding his place in this band. So my initial feeling about playing with this band is is not that it's a full free for all because I had to be, I knew that I had to be conscious of uh, like trying to pull something from myself that it had, you know, it had to be, had had to have a a cogent kind of something that was going to come forth. Right. And I'm not like, I can't do that every time, you know, but the great thing is, is that when we, are jamming pretty consistently and I can just do my thing. I, I mean, for a while I would kind of think like, I'm not, I'm not Rob, you know, Rob has this other thing. It's quite, I mean, which I was so in both Rob and John that I was so incredibly inspired by. And I've taken things, I think unconsciously or liminally, I don't know from, from those guys, but that I'm not those, those, that's, I can't do what they do. I don't, I can access the music. I can access what's going on, but I can't, I, I'm not, which is probably in the long run a really good thing. I'm not able to be a replicant of that mode. So there's a lot of, sometimes there's a lot of self doubt around it. Like, you know, you know, and you know, kind of like, why are these guys letting me do this, you know, for, you know, for real. So I get, you know, that, that happens a lot, but then John's very encouraging. Both John and Rob, actually the, everybody and Conrad will be like, no, no, it's just do your thing. And it's totally fine. The other day I was, I listened to something from probably 2007 and a diaper was mentioned. And, and I, I said, you know, I brought, 
the leather diaper, it, which I thought I brought that into existence or, you know, in, within Sunburn, but the diaper has been, been launched earlier. So, and I'm, yeah, I'm not quite, and I think it's just cause I'm, you know, John and I also do a little bit of workshopping, I guess, but then there's these other things that just sort of, I just sort of opened myself rather than if I, I there's been times where I've come with concepts to shows or whatever recordings and I feel like they more more than not they fall flat but if I could completely open myself and I'm just in a moment then those things tend to be very interesting yeah in the long run so you like the eight-piece chicken dinner All right, Allison, we've heard a lot about how the music happens. Keep in mind, I only spoke with a subset of band members. It's possible a different story might emerge if I heard from more. But in general, everything I've heard has been quite consistent. So what kinds of questions do you have for our last segment of this episode? I guess one thing I've never fully wrapped my head around is like, how does this all work? Like, there's so many people involved. There's this sort of revolving door of membership and this sort of like amorphous flow of activity. Like how does it keep any kind of momentum? Yeah. It's kind of mind boggling. Part of it is that John Maloney is a sheer force of nature. His will to keep things going is a piece here, but clearly not the only piece because it doesn't explain how and why all these other people willingly get and stay involved. Yeah, I mean, we've talked a bit about how the band is more than just Rob and John, but how do, how does that dynamic really play out? And I guess, like, what kind of what kind of hand does each of them have in the sort of, like, operation of the larger collective? Yeah, that's a great couple of questions for the last segment of this episode. I thought Chris Corsano might have an interesting perspective on this question of how in the world all of this is happening. Recall that he played in the band years ago, but he was doing his own thing before he joined and continues to play solo in many other projects to today. So he has both an inside and outside perspective on the band. Part of it is that ability to grow and contract members and and kind of amoeba-like kind of expand it and uh, engulf things around it in its sphere. Like it did, you know, Flaherty and me. Not exactly like, it didn't like take Flaherty Corsano and just like swallow it up. But like I played with them and then they had Flaherty and like they kind of, and, and it was like John or, but it, you know, it wasn't just John, but, but John's a great dude who's really, um, he's really generous and he's kind of outgoing. So I think, you know, there's certain people who are, um, you remember meeting maybe first, and then there's other people who are like lay back in the cut a little bit, but then they're hilarious. So it's like there's a lot of 
even out of that core group um, that that stays in Sunburn, you know, the whole through the whole uh, story, um, there's elements of it that ensure the longevity just by the combination of personalities. Um, and it was fun, you know, that, that means that like when it's fun, then you want to do the next tour. Um, and then, you know, when it's hard to tour 13 people because you are not just the thing that was on the cover of the wire, I think that wire cover definitely helped that, that tour and that, you know, the Julian Cope thing was the end of, then, you know, the band might not have 13 members uh, because that's a lot of flights, you know, or whatever. So, like, I think John and, you know, other people in the band have been great at making it work, whatever the uh, situation is. So, like, surviving, basically. Like, and, you know, it's like more improvisation. Like, this, these are the material realities we're surrounded with right now. Let's do a thing that fits the right now rather than, we have these songs. We're going to just jam them through. We're going to play them until we're so sick of them that we break up. Similar to Chris, Dave Bohill played in the band during those touring years, but he's not been active for over a decade. I found his comments here to be quite lovely and insightful. I, I always think back and I think I'm really thankful that I was there. You know, there are multiple core members, you know, <laughs> you know? Uh, there's, I am like, I think integral to a certain period and then I'm absolutely not, and I'm okay with that. You know, it's kind of like life itself, you know. As we've discussed, some people on the outside perceive Sunburn as simply John and Rob's band. And that makes sense. They were active from the beginning and John in particular is essentially the band's manager. So pragmatically, he's who most people interact with. I decided to just ask those two about this pointedly. So here's Rob Thomas and John Maloney describing some of the band's inner workings. Yeah, it's under an umbrella for sure. I mean, yeah. it's, like, it's, like a, it's like a political party or something. You know? Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's, a, there's room for, a, you know, if, 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 if basically there's, it does function somewhat like a democracy is supposed to function on paper. And that um, if you do something, if you get it done and you want it to be done and you present it to us within the group, then it comes out. You know, we don't, we don't, we, if Ron comes up with a, a CDR or if, if Taylor or any of the guys do, we're not going to be like, well, this, this, we, we're not putting this out because we disagree. You know, uh, everybody gets a say in this. Um, it's just the people that want to work the hardest at it or spend the most time on it get the most say. So not because it's just because you know, I don't know. Like some of us have more free time. Sure, exactly. Yeah. Some of us have it, have it set up, and I'm set up in a way where I'm not. I work six months out of the year, and then I have the other six months to look at look at all the summer. Yeah, and it's, I live with it all. Yeah, he's always had yeah. held the archive. I live with it all. So yeah, it's just easy. I don't know. I'm, I, I've been in the habit of making editing and making releases, and and then. It's 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 an open, you know the you know uh, the trading floor is open. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, Any it's, anyone that wants to put stuff it's open something together sure. is welcome to do that. It's just uh, it's become harder for some people to do. I mean, you know, this this last round, Ron did the CD. So this one, this you know, the last two or three I put out, 
last the two from last Friday. Like Ron did the CD. We all recorded it here in the basement, and then Ron edited the tracks, presented the tracks, did titled them, titled them. He did all the artwork, and then handed me all the parts, and I did the assembly and and like the admin on it and the fulfillment. And then you know the other thing was something that was sitting around for fifteen years. And uh, it was already edited and done, and I was just like, "Oh, this is supposed to be a record." So Taylor, Taylor was just pumping art out. So we used, we used Taylor gave us some artwork, and there it is. Yeah. In that last clip, Rob said John lives with the archive. When they say archive, John has tapes, regular cassettes, stats, VHS or digital files of nearly every single time the band has played. You can hear him in these conversations. Someone will be talking about a particular moment, and he'll go, I still have the tapes upstairs. And sometimes he'll even say the specific room, shelf, and format of the artifact. And he can put his hands on most of their album artwork. He has multiple books, archival, like scrapbooks, totally full. One is all show flyers. Another is full of pictures. And I think that tells us something about how this all works. Here's Sarah Givens. This is his life's work. And it's all over my house. It's it's everywhere. It's on every... It's everywhere. Every piece of artwork. Every room has some shelf or bookcase dedicated to artwork, tapes, some, you know, any something that has to do with Sunburned. You know, the whole section of the record shelf, Sunburned and affiliated groups. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's his life's work. It's what he's dedicated his life to. Here's Shannon Ketch describing some of the ways he sees John at work in the band. I'd say there's, there's people that take care. John's a caretaker. Like, he's the caretaker of this, you know, this funeral home. <laughs> <laughs> he's like the, he, and, you know, I mean, but it also is like a, a big burden, you know, I would imagine sometimes, you know, cause you know, when there's nobody else that's just saying like, we should do this, but John and I have discussions about things that we should do this and that. And I'm sure he has them with every, every one of us, but I feel like, you know, John's sort of the caretaker. Then he corrected himself saying, the curator, curator probably is a better term for it because he, he's a really good curator. He's got a, he's got a sense of what makes sense. There's no easy, there's no easy, like some bands have like, you know, it's very easy to point your finger at one person and they're the kind of like the driving force. I just would, I would say that John is, John is a, is a curator in general. But being a curator, you can't, like, there's no 100%. So, and also being curator, you you reach out to people and say, like, does this seem to make sense? But also, he's a good connector to, I mean, I think his connection with Corey and others, you know, and his, his ability to speak to what they kind of want or need out of a situation is, I couldn't do, I don't think, I, I mean, I couldn't do that for this man. Phil Franklin also brought up John's archival work. He'll pull out flyers and he'll pull out artwork that I've forgotten about. And I guess music too, that is still there, you know, but yeah, he, he does. It's great that he's held on to all that. And he's kept it, kept it all these years. 
In the first episode, we heard Ron Schneiderman describe Sunburn like a community orchestra. In his comment, he said, Some people are like the ones who are calling the shots on a tour. And everyone says, thank you. Because <laughs> I can't do that. Or somebody's like, I got all this uh, idea for this printing of this thing. And I think that's some of what's happening here. Rob and John strive to facilitate Sunburn to function just as they described it earlier. But somebody has to make logistical things happen. And that's often been John Maloney. Here's Conrad Capistran. There was one point where John, John said to me, John said this, he said, I'm like the muscle of the band and Rob is the brains. I think that's a little bit too simplistic, but Rob is really, really artistic. Artistic. He's one of the most creative people I know. He's able to improvise comedy constantly. Like, he's really funny. John, it's like John does all the grunt work. Like, I'll say that I don't think you would be here talking to me if it wasn't for the amount of effort that John put in to communicate with people and promote the band. He really made it happen. I think they went to Europe because of John. He's done a lot. So, I mean, he takes on a lot, a, a lot of the, the work. I really admire what he's done. And he made it work. He, like, put a lot of effort into it. And it's paid off. Like, we're not, not like we're making a lot of money, but we're, people are putting out our records, you know. Sarah Gibbons shared similar thoughts about the collaborative relationship between Rob Thomas and John Maloney. I think, I think when, when Sunburn was getting established, there was definitely like a Abbott and Costello, not Abbott and Costello, but there was like a, you know, a, an odd couple kind of thing, maybe like, like Rob was the, Rob was the, the, the mouth and John was the, strong silent type maybe that's a more accurate assessment <laughs> i think sunburned can take many forms i when i think of sunburned i think of the rhythm section as the consistency in sound that relationship between the two of them seems pretty significant to me and they have because they've been playing together for almost 30 years they have a really kind of like symbiotic way of playing off each other and, and just like effortlessly falling into a groove that can sustain whatever insanity falls on top of it. Many of the band members pointed out their collaborative work Rob and John do to maintain Sunburn and linked it both literally and figuratively to them as the band's core rhythm section. Like, I think, I mean, take Rob, for example, like, he can anchor things down that, you know, so far out to sea and just kind of like, just a swirling mess, which can sound great, you know, it's like not, I, no judgment on it, but then like, and Rob can be way out there, but like, he has this supernatural ability of just coming up with a baseline that like anchors everything and just like the um, contrast that it provides to what was just happening is perfect and amazing. And so not like I was following him, but I was always looking for the hookup because that's what you do if you're a drummer. You, you know, kind of get used to being a rhythm section. And Rob is like one of the best people to be in a, in a rhythm section with. I think, I mean, I think there is a consistency with the rhythm section. The whatever's going on with those guys all the time, like musically, has always been astounding. 
but that as a as a guitar player, finding myself playing stuff and sort of being like, how how am I how is this happening? Like really way outside myself, and it's something about that the way those guys put the rhythm down. I don't want to characterize it. I just think that you know it can be so it can just be so uh, solid and um, or loose and gone, but like you still know. It, it's it's still like you could fall on it it's gonna it's still holding something there's still something being held held there and it's like you know yeah it's just ba- I mean it's just based I mean in just just letting it go I, I don't know I don't know I don't I wouldn't even know how to explain it yeah holding down the structural like structural thing and Rob is structural but he's setting by playing the bass lines, he's setting up the chords and, and all the melodies that get played. And when I'm playing, we're jamming down here. I listen to him the most. Like, I, he's the one I focus on and play. Like, because I, I can't, it's so chaotic down here sometimes that I can't follow, like, the guitar parts. Like, so he is, like, being the creative in some ways, you know. I think John's selling himself short because John does a lot of art and he's an artist. It's like, when he said that, I don't know. There might have been a certain amount of self-deprecation. You know? and, and of course, as I say all of this, I can hear Rob and John both saying something like, well, we aren't just the rhythm section. Other people play drums. Other people fill those roles. We do lots of other stuff in the band. And that's true. But I think what matters here is these guys lead by example, and it shines through regardless of what they are doing on the stage. Here's Shannon Ketch. Rob sort of hits the pulse of... In my mind, the pulse of a, you know, things get so completely distorted and Rob is able to kind of like point to the distortion, the distorted thinking, societal distorted thinking, and be able to just kind of hit that pulse. Just like he's so able to do that, which, you know, like when John was talking about him being doing the comedic act, you know, he can just do it. And it was, and and then on John can hit this primal kind of these primal notes about feeling like that the breakdown and it's like like it just it it can hit so you're like oh my god yeah that I know that feeling with just like a a grunt or a yell or a or a, or a, you know a one word or three word kind of thing. It's just magical. It's like really magical how John is able to do it. It's very inspiring. So it doesn't matter who's doing what. Sunburn is always more about the group sound than any individual players. Chris Corsano and I were discussing other long-lasting out-there music groups, and he noted that even in groups like, say, Sun Ra, where there's an individual leading things, what really matters is how the music hits. Yeah, as far as like who's who's behind the band or whatever or what what the band is, it's like it's always different. Like listen to a Sunra record 10 times and you'll pick up a, you know, hopefully more than 10 different things. You know, you just kind of uh with a uh I think they like to say rich text in the academic world. Um there's just a lot of fucking shit going on and it's it's good. Um and that's all that kind of mattered to me as far as do I want to play with this band or not? And I did. Now we'll close out this section and this episode with some final thoughts from 
first Rob Thomas and then John Maloney. But yeah, the band could have could have crumbled. I mean, John's got a real strong will uh, to keep things rolling and to keep things happening. I think, you know, we're the two guys who've been in the band the longest. We were the two members currently active all the time who, uh, along with Conrad, so three of us, but uh, we're part of the foundation of the group. But there's a yin and yang between us that I think has been a, a key to our longevity and that John has incredible amounts of energy and drive and wants to keep things happening all the time. And uh, is at his best when the, when we're in the midst of something and, and gets nervous when things aren't happening. So he needs perpetual motion. I'm a little more uh, theoretical or something. I like to think about things and mull them over. And uh, I'm content. I could be content playing music in the basement for the rest of my life. I like it. But I, I love playing shows too, but I'm not a, I don't plan like that. And I'm not the uh, gregarious type of person when you meet the band. You meet John. John's very, uh, he, he, he knows how to talk to people. And he knew, he's, you know, kind of a born manager too, which is, explains why he's gotten into that, that line of work. Um, I'm different. But that right from the get go, the two, those are the two sides of the coin. That's the balance, I think. And we are, we do have like a, you know, like a, like a partner. There's definitely a partner vibe yeah. between me and Rob. Yeah, yeah. yeah we're definitely cl- very close. Yeah. We've been friends since, like, like, you know, 1989 or 90. Yeah. We had an epic 15-minute-long handshake when we first met. And we've had, our, we've had some bad times, too, like scream, you know, full-blown screaming at each other, like str- trying to strangle each other at a show in Berlin. I have a videotape of it upstairs that I, I none of us want to see. Yeah. We're trying to throw each other down a flight of stairs. Really? Yeah. Okay, Allison, I think we've circled this topic a couple of times. Mm-hmm. And thinking back to the starting place with Ron's very inscrutable comments of like mm-hmm. chicken salad dressing to see what comes down, <laughs> I think the truest take on today's question is likely some variation of the response to that hypothetical why do you climb a mountain question. Okay. You know, it's something like, how does any of this stuff happen? Mm-hmm. It just does. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I don't know if that is transferable to something that makes sense to a listener. I don't know, does that click together for you? I think so, and I think sometimes like, we also just have to accept an answer of like, it just does sometimes, because I think music is kind of one of those things where you can try to ask a million questions about it and try to get an answer and a lot of the times you can can, but sometimes you just can't, and that's That's the way that human emotion works. <laughs> yeah, that resonates with me and hopefully is a satisfying end for our listeners. But Wonderful. <laughs> I, think, um, I think we have one more episode still to go. Mm-hmm. I think we've, like, now we understand, like, how the band functions yeah. as, a, as a creative unit. Yeah. But I think there's still a little bit more to tell here. But I want to know, like, what do you think? What else, what else is important? Um... I think we should dig into kind of like what kind of impact they have had on yeah. music of the last 20 years, because I think, you know, to invoke the Velvet Underground cliche, it's like they're a band that have had a lot of influence, even if they're not, you know, at the top of the mm-hmm. Billboard 100 or whatever. Like they 
they've pushed the needle a lot when it comes to a lot of music that I think is being made nowadays. Not necessarily even like pop music, but um, I think that this is also just kind of like a difficult band to definitively like trace just kind of how far that influence has gotten because yeah. of like just because of the very nature of like what they do and who they are yeah yeah i think that's a great question um and i think that's that's a good starting but that's where we should go for this last episode okay cool so thanks as always for tuning in we'll be back soon with our final episode You've been listening to No Way Out, an oral history of Sunbird Hand of the Man. If you check out the show notes, we've included a list of links to pictures and other things discussed in this episode. We also have a list of the songs used in the episode with links so you can go hear them in their entirety. I'm Kelly Davis. I hosted and produced this episode. My special guest was Allison Hussey. Editorial support was provided by Chris Sims and Allison Hussey. Portions of this episode were recorded in the studios of WXDU in Durham.